I think it's about managing expectations the best that you can because I mean isn't that everything about SEO really <laughs> managing expectations of stakeholders but it's it's firstly recognizing what's going on because it can really start to weigh you down as a manager if you're constantly thinking I want to do this for my team and you're constantly getting told no then take stock of that situation is it an issue for now is the company going through a period of having to batten down the hatches because there's financial constraints is it a case of actually your line manager's not that great or the the leadership's not wonderful is that something that's ever going to change can you see a light at the end of the tunnel if not you might want to start having those conversations with yourself around whether you're in the right place or not but it's kind of acknowledging what's going on and helping your direct reports to see how they can continue to feel that feeling of, of growing and developing in their role without necessarily it being something that is like a title change or a, um, a promotion or a pay rise. Sometimes simply that won't be good enough and, you know, respect that. But in other times, you can look at other opportunities that perhaps your management will say yes to because it's not incurring any additional cost and seeing if you can kind of find a way through that. But if you're finding no more often than you're getting yeses in terms of trying to champion your team, then you're not able to be an effective manager. So it's either having those kind of conversations with your leadership to find out what you need to do to become a more effective manager, because perhaps it is just that you're being a bit unreasonable or asking things that the, you know, the company cannot ever sustain. Not everyone can be promoted all the time, for instance. Um, or perhaps it is just that they, you know, they're not minded towards people the same way you are. And you need to perhaps consider whether you're in the right role. A lot of that kind of management I found is often asking yourself those kind of tough questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreading Sundays. I'm your host, Daniel K. Chung, and today I have the lovely Helen Pollitt coming on to the show to share her experiences in hiring, and that's going to be quite interesting because we're going to be talking this from both the perspective as a hiring manager and as a potential candidate. So, Helen, why don't you uh, take a few moments to introduce to our lovely listeners, all three and a half of them, who you are, what you do, and why you're awesome. Oh, wonderful. Why I'm awesome. Well, do we have uh, at least 60 minutes to run through that list? <laughs> Probably not needed. Um, so I am Helen. I'm head of SEO at a wonderful company called Car and Classic. Um, I have been in the digital marketing industry since the internet was invented, it feels, but more realistically, probably somewhere around 15 years now. Um, started off life as uh, well, my marketing career, not my actual life, um, as a generalist marketer, specialized into digital marketing and then into SEO and over more recent years as a manager and department lead for SEOs. Nice. Because I'm reading your submission. You've been an agency employee. You're working in-house now. You've been a freelancer slash business yeah. owner and you've had, you know, and you've hired of these four experiences. If you had to pick a favorite, which one is it? Ooh, it's, yeah. I, I can hands down say my absolute worst was being a freelancer. Um, hated every moment of that. Um, not so much working for myself. That's lovely. I'm a great boss to me. Um, but the whole aspect of having to do all your own sort of legal affairs and financial stuff. And it's just a bit of a, of a difficult thing that I didn't quite grasp how difficult it was going to be uh, trying to do that alongside actual, you know, SEO stuff. Um, so that's probably the worst experience, although it did give me the opportunity to uh, be a lecturer at a university teaching a master's at the same time. So it kind of gave me that freedom to explore that side of teaching, which I really love doing. So that was a good thing. Um, but probably my most favourite aspect has been management. 
whether that's agency side or in-house. Um, both have their challenges, both have their rewards, but being a people manager is probably the most exciting part of my job. Yes, let's explore that because let's start from how did you find yourself in a leadership slash management role agency side? So I asked. That's the that's the main way. Um, so this is right back near sort of the probably the, it was the first agency that I worked in actually. Um, I'd been there for a few years and we were starting to hire some juniors in and I knew that management was something that I wanted to move into and I wanted a bit more experience. I had a lot of um, experience outside of work, sort of managing teams, leading in various different voluntary capacities, but I didn't have anything uh, in the world of work that I could say I have been a people manager. So I asked whether I could start line managing one of the juniors who had just joined the company. Um, and thankfully, they said yes. I think it was a case of my my direct manager was being a bit overwhelmed with all the people that they had to manage. So actually, uh, giving me some of that responsibility was a good thing for them. Uh, but it meant that I could kind of get used to that line management role about being that person's direct manager. And um, I just absolutely loved it. It's something that really appeals to my um, desire to help people grow and develop and uh, kind of went from there. So that was the first agency I was at. I then moved to another agency. Um, I was there for about three months before they put me in charge of the entire department. So that was quite a uh, steep learning curve going from managing one to managing an entire team. Um, but again, I think if you enjoy something, you kind of you learn how to do it well, don't you? That's, that's kind of the goal. Okay, so going back, you kind of answered this before. What do you enjoy about managing people? I think that for me, management, good management is about being your direct reports champion. Um, whenever I think back to good managers that I've had, they've been people who've wanted to see me succeed. They genuinely have that desire for me to do better, whether that's growing my skill set or have more opportunities. And that's kind of what I like to unlock for other people. I really love to see uh, my teams uh, going off to speak at conferences or um, being able to get promoted or um, even sometimes leaving the company and going on somewhere else to a more senior position. That is, for me, kind of the, the best bit of it. It's about being able to champion other people. And I think if that's at the heart of your style when you're a manager, you're most of the way there. And so the flip side, what are the aspects of management that you dislike or you find the most challenging? I think probably the the bit about managing people that is hardest is when you're a, you're a middle manager. So essentially you have this responsibility over your team and their kind of their enjoyment of work and their fulfillment of work, but you don't necessarily have the ultimate authority. And that's a really tricky place to be in. So you might have identified that a person is ready for growth, they're ready for a new opportunity, they're ready for promotion, but you're not the one that gets the final say. So you can put together a wonderful business case and why they should be promoted, etc., and it gets turned down. And then you have to manage the expectations of your direct report. You have to help them to stay motivated, stay feeling fulfilled at work, but without that opportunity that you know they rightly deserve. And it's those kind of moments that can be really tricky. Um, especially when you work very closely with your team and you want to see them succeed and you know that them not having those opportunities is going to be detrimental to them in some way, or they might just choose to leave the company and go somewhere that does have those opportunities. So that's probably the hardest thing, I think, is when you've got all this responsibility, but not quite the authority you need to, to be able to manage it well. 
good answer. So for someone who's who finds themselves in that position where there is this friction on both sides, how have you overcome it? Or is it something that you just have to live with? I think it's about managing expectations the best that you can because I mean isn't that everything about SEO really <laughs> managing expectations of stakeholders but it's it's firstly recognizing what's going on because it can really start to weigh you down as a manager if you're constantly thinking I want to do this for my team and you're constantly getting told no um, then take stock of that situation is it is it an issue for now is the company going through a period of um, having to batten down the hatches because there's financial constraints is it a case of actually your line manager's not that great or the the leadership's not wonderful is that something that's ever going to change can you see a light at the end of the tunnel if not you might want to start having those conversations with yourself around whether you're in the right place or not um but it's kind of acknowledging what's going on and helping your direct reports to to see how they can continue to feel that that um feeling of, of growing and developing in their role without necessarily it being something that is like a title change or a, um, a promotion or a pay rise, um, sometimes simply that won't be good enough. And, you know, respect that. Absolutely. Um, but in other times, you can look at other opportunities that perhaps your management will say yes to um, because it's not incurring any additional cost and seeing if you can kind of find a way through that. But if you're finding no more often than you're getting yeses in terms of trying to champion your team, then <sighs> you're not able to be an effective manager. So it's either having those kind of conversations with your leadership to find out what you need to do to become a more effective manager, because perhaps it is just that you're being a bit unreasonable or asking things that the, you know, the company cannot ever sustain. Not everyone can be promoted all the time, for instance. Um, or perhaps it is just that they, you know, they're not minded towards people the same way you are. And you need to perhaps consider whether you're in the right role. Um, a lot of that kind of management I found is often asking yourself those kind of tough questions. Um, before you can really help to manage the expectations of your team but one thing I will say never promise anything um, because you're probably not the person who's ever going to be able to actually come through on those promises so don't promise your team you're going to get them promoted don't promise you're going to get them pay rise because you probably are the person who's actually going to cause that to happen so you know you kind of put yourself in the foot from the, the get-go if you do things like that. So it sounds like you've developed a, a very strong sense of soft skills which is hard to come by. It's not something that you get taught formally. How did you develop soft skills? Because, you know, managing expectations and friction and conflict yeah. is all about that. Yeah, I think the the way that I learned is through some very poor experiences with line managers. And unfortunately, I think that's the way a lot of us learn. Um, what do I not respond well to? What do I not want to subject my team to? Um, and unfortunately, when you've had a, a career as long as um, mine in this particular industry, you, you're going to encounter that kind of thing. I mean, it, it just happens in any job, doesn't it? So learning from what I don't want to do to my team, but also really acknowledging that every person is different. So I respond to particular management styles that other people just simply do not respond well to. And I guess the, the primary thing you can do is to acknowledge that Every person that you are managing is going to be different. They're going to want different things. They're going to respond to different things. You have to be fair and consistent across your team, um, but acknowledging that they are individuals and some things will go really well with them and other things won't is, is primary. But in terms of kind of learning, there's so many good resources out there. There are training courses that you can go on that help to equip you. It won't necessarily help you to become 
um, an amazing manager overnight, but it will equip you with things that you need to know, like how to uh, deal with difficult situations, how to handle grievances, how to um, help your team to succeed at whatever they put their mind to, how to manage um, difficult workplace relationships, for instance, all those kind of little things that can crop up without you expecting it, that you suddenly have to deal with on the fly because you're managing humans. Um, so as much of that as you can kind of become equipped with, the better. It's kind of those those human resources, people management skills that there are training courses for, there are articles you can read. Just keep up to date with that kind of stuff. Um, it helps you to to not fall into those kind of tricky employment law traps that um, might come back to bite you another another point. And rely on the people around you who manage well. I think that's a great way of learning. Get yourself a mentor who's a who's a brilliant manager, maybe outside of your company, who you can kind of uh, pick the brains of, ask questions of, ask how they would deal with the situation because it could be completely different to how you would, um, because they are their own their own person with their own management style and kind of learn from others around you. Now you mentioned the magic word mentor. Do you have one? Now I do actually. My my brand new company actually set me up with a mentor, which is a brilliant thing. It's a really encouraging. Um, but uh, in previous roles, I have been a mentor rather than having my own mentor. So I'm quite excited to see see how that goes. But I'm a huge, huge um, advocate of, of mentoring. Um, I think it's a very, very valuable um, partnership to have. If you have access to that, there are a lot of um, organisations that offer it. Um, in our own industry, Women in Tech SEO, for instance, offers a, a mentorship programme. Um, so if you want to be a mentor or be mentored, I think it's great to get yourself into those kind of um, organisation-led relationships because they kind of put the nice boundaries in place that make it a really safe space. Um, but potentially if there's people in the industry that you admire, it might be worth reaching out to them and seeing what they they think about becoming a mentor to you, but be prepared for them to say no because they might be very, very busy people. Um, but yeah, I think those are really valuable relationships to have. Um, even if it's just for a period of time, say six weeks, and you you know have half an hour a week with them or something, you can learn so much from other people. Hundred percent. Now, when it comes to communicating as a manager at various levels, what's your opinion on one-on-ones? How often should they be? Of course, context matters, and I'm giving you none. And and what's the breakdown of that one-on-one? How much of it is about work? Should it be about work? If not. When is work discussed? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Context does matter because, like I, I said previously, there'd be some people who absolutely hate one-to-ones. I mean, I work in a fully remote company, so one-to-ones happen via Zoom. Um, and some people actually absolutely hate that kind of dynamic. They don't want to have Zoom conversations. So a weekly one-to-one is actually something that's kind of stressful for them. And that's worth acknowledging. Um, for other people, for instance, they might want to just um, grab a, a coffee with you once a month so you can run through things in more detail. And it's about really acknowledging who you're working with and what that kind of style is. But what I would say is remain consistent. So if you are agreeing with with um, one person that actually they'd really like those weekly check-ins, if it's 15 minutes, half an hour, make sure you stick to them. If it's that you um, go for a, a coffee with a, um, a colleague for half an hour to an hour once a month, just make sure you stick to it. It's that kind of consistency that I think is really important for both sides. Um, so they know what to expect and you can also make sure that you are um, maintaining that momentum because things can slip and slide and before you know it, there's issues that you cannot be made aware of. So consistency is key. Um, in terms of what those kind of meetings 
are comprised of, I would say, again, depends on the frequency. So if I'm having weekly check-ins with people, it tends to be sort of 15 minutes, half an hour. What have you been working on? What are you looking at working on in the following week? Any issues that have come up? Um, what are you doing at the weekend? So I think it's, it is important to kind of um, build rapport with your team. But again, some people just really want to keep work and home life completely separate. And they don't want their manager knowing their business. They don't want their manager asking them like, oh, what have you done to the weekend? So know your people, know who you're working with. Others absolutely love their managers taking an interest in life outside of work. So there's no, there's never a one size fits all, I think. Um, you kind of need to maybe have those kind of meetings right at the beginning of your working relationship with these people and kind of set up those boundaries, let them kind of lead those boundaries. But um, what I would say is um, I am a huge uh, proponent of one-to-ones. I think they are important. And I have had direct reports in the past who, who just don't like them. They see them as unnecessary. They see them as time consuming. They just want to be left alone to get on with their work. And I, again, fully respect that. But I do think it's important to have those touch points. Um, sort of compromises that I've made in the past is um, a, a one-to-one maybe once a month, but we have weekly check-ins over Slack instead. So they can literally just download a list of what they're working on, any issues, any blockers, that kind of thing. And I can help them to unpick that via um, async uh, on Slack or um, what other messaging tool of your at your disposal. Um, oh, Microsoft Teams. Oh, so love it. No. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> it's um, actually okay. <laughs> Don't want to get sued by Microsoft, so I'm going to move on. Um, I'm sure Microsoft is listening, by the way. Um, yeah, so again, consistency. Make sure that whatever you agree at the front of your kind of managerial relationship with these people is what you stick to. And check-ins on that as well, because they might be over time. They're like, actually, you're quite a decent human being. I can withstand 15 minutes with you once a week. So let's let's move to, to weekly sessions. Or actually, you know what? We're not really chatting that much weekly. Let's move it to fortnightly, but we'll do half an hour instead. Um, so, yeah work with your team to work out what's best for your team i love your response especially because i gave you no context and you just answered that brilliantly (laughs) where have you been why haven't you been my manager i wish you were my (laughs) first manager (laughs) because you just you you understand people so uh honestly it's been years for me getting to this point (laughs) i feel sorry for us in my previous line reports you probably had to put up with the much messier management style of Helen. Awesome. So because you have agency and in-house and freelancer, what are the differences? Because a lot of us, we go through all three. Sometimes being the freelancer is towards the end. That's the end goal where you have freedom and then you can charge consulting, value-based or project-based, whatever. And depending on where you are in the world, we have different perspectives on in-house and agency. From your experience anyway, what are the key differences that someone who's listening, who's maybe wanting to explore different opportunities, should know? Oh, spill the tea. Um, so I would say my experience, and this is, again, very personal to me, my experience of agency is that you get a real breadth of experience very quickly. So I was very fortunate in that my agency experience was at the beginning of my SEO career, so that I got to experience SEO in different uh, verticals, different uh, company sizes and styles all at once because it was an agency environment so you get to experience a lot of things um i've done like somewhere north of like 30 40 50 maybe website migrations because there were times when i was just doing website migrations 
But if you've been in, I know <laughs> the look on your face. It is, yeah, I've survived it though somehow. Um, not sure if it's made me a stronger person, but um, that's because I was working agency side and I was just churning through website migration, website migration. If you're in-house, chances are you've maybe done two, three, because <laughs> how often are you migrating a website within the one brand? Not often. Um, so, you know, those kind of experiences you get because you're working across so many different companies. Um, you also have to go through the stress of having so many different stakeholders. Though. So not only do you have your colleagues, you have your bosses, you have your clients, you have their bosses, you have random other agencies that want to get in on the business as well. You've got other freelancers who want to get involved. There's so many people that you're managing that you almost become a project manager as well as an SEO. You've kind of got to learn how to balance all of that. And the fact that everyone's got a different motivation, everyone's got a different end goal and got to somehow make that work. So it teaches you a lot about diplomacy, I would say, being agency side, it teaches you a lot about patience. Um, but you don't necessarily get to go as deep on um, the SEO side of it as you would do if you're in-house. Whereas in-house, you're working on the one, maybe a couple of websites at most, um, but you're really getting to go deep on those. But you won't necessarily have the same resources that you have in an agency. You won't necessarily have the same team of colleagues that you had agency side. So um, you might be working with far fewer people if you're in-house because in-house teams tend to be smaller than, than agency teams. So you won't necessarily get the breadth of experience from learning from other SEOs that you get at agency, but you possibly will get to see more things actually carried out because there's fewer stakeholders and hopefully those stakeholders and you are all pulling in the same direction because you've got a real understanding of what the goal of the business is. So all of your SEO recommendations, hopefully, will be really tailored towards that end goal. Whereas when you're agency side, you won't necessarily know all the nuances of the business. So sometimes your SEO recommendations might not quite hit the mark in the same way. Um, and then if you really, really want to become a freelancer, good luck to you. I hated it. Um, it was definitely not for me. Um, definitely not for me. I like the freedom, really enjoyed being able to choose my clients, really enjoyed being able to have that sense of growing a business absolutely hated the legal and uh, accountancy side of it. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I didn't know how to do that well. Um, and that caused me inordinate amounts of stress. So um, if you're like me and a stickler for the rules, then uh, going freelance can be a little bit overwhelming uh, because there's suddenly a lot of rules that you have to follow that you just aren't privy to when you're kind of working in someone else's company. Um, but if you like that challenge, then freelance can absolutely pay dividends, uh, literal dividends if you're in the UK, and that's how you get your salary. Oh, what? Yeah. That sounds Again, very complicated. It is complicated, and that's why I just noped out of it in the end because it's very confusing, and I just like to have money at the end of the month when someone pays me. That's all I wanted. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But what if? What if you could have all that and all you did was delegate all the things that you don't like, but you could still have the freedom? Would it still be yeah, appealing if, or not? Yeah, no, because I'd still be the one ultimately <laughs> responsible. So oh, it would make me really, really, really trusting those people I was delegating to. Um, and I can see why owners of businesses get really, really conscious of the people they're hiring because you genuinely put a lot of trust in that they're doing a good job and they're acting in your best interest, let alone the company's best interest. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think that ultimate responsibility over a company's financial and legal status is, is my happy place, unfortunately. Well, I'm glad you have found your happy place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think the other thing about freelancing is I just didn't have a team. 
I really like having a team. And um, for me, that's a huge plus about coming to work is knowing that you've got people that you're working with, learning from, hopefully helping to, to guide and teach. Um, and that was a huge, huge part of my enjoyment of, of work. Yeah. And going back to your previous, what you said previously about difference between agency and in-house, like at the time of recording, I'm my eighth day into my new job in-house and and it's a completely different pace. I remember agency, whatever tool I wanted, my boss bought. So Ahrefs, SEMrush, Screaming Frog, Sightbulb, you name it, we got it, Majestic, whatever. Here at in-house, I can't even run Screaming Frog. I can't install it because of security. It... <laughs> <laughs> there's many challenges but at the same time uh the environment that we work in is agile so i'm the only seo person in my squad and that means i can learn off others from other disciplines and that's so fun i mean that i guess for me personally that's fun um but at the agency everyone's an seo everyone's about content yeah. and and there's a ceiling and then you're in a little bit of a bubble and a bit of a silo and all you think about is seo but business is a lot more than just organic traffic and you know that's been fun. Yeah. Absolutely. I really, I really agree with you. That's a very good point that you can get very insular and SEO is the only way when you're working with 10 other, 20 other SEOs. But actually, as soon as you're in that place where you are the only SEO and you're having to advocate for SEO being fundamental to the growth of the business, but actually also realizing that it's not the only way to grow a business. Uh, there's other stuff at play there. And just because you think it's a great idea that you, um, I don't know, speed up the the speed of a page doesn't mean it's going to be easy for the devs to do, doesn't mean it's a priority for them, doesn't mean it's something that's worthwhile doing in the long run. So it's about, yeah, you, you do get this exposure to actually all these other disciplines, not just in marketing, either just um, product ownership, product management, tech, the engineering, all of this sort of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily get that much experience of agency side, other than seeing as a bit of a roadblock to getting your SEO things implemented. Just, just a bit? <laughs> <laughs> I've been polite. <laughs> now, now we understand why. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's amazing, actually, moving from agency to in-house, and I'm sure the same would be vice versa. You kind of, you, having been agency side, I can, I can read between the lines when agency account managers are talking to me about things. Like, I know what that means, really. I've been that side. I know what you're saying when you're telling me it's going to take this amount of time. 40% of that is just you communicating with your SEOs because you're having to relay information rather than it coming straight from the SEO. So I know what that means. Um, but equally, equally, when you're um, in-house, you kind of suddenly think, oh, that's why they're always saying no to me because actually there's so much more nuance to this. There's so much more context to this. I just wasn't privy to you as an agency SEO that I get now that I'm in-house. So yeah, challenges both sides, but it's also you know a lot of fun agency side or, or in-house. Just Definitely. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> the the main takeaway is Helen does not enjoy freelancing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, and I guess I don't think it matters whether you work agency or in-house or freelancing. It's it's whatever works for you and allows you to achieve what you want. After it's just work after all, and you know, life isn't always work. But on the topic of work, because you've held many titles, I want to kind of get your opinion on what the difference of job titles are. Head of SEO, what's the difference between director, head mm. of, and even when you break it down to SEO manager, that's mm -hmm. the job title I have, which was a which is actually a step down to my previous agency role. 
What's the difference between an SEO manager to a senior SEO manager? Mm. This Apart is from a really just a job title. Yeah, exactly. So the, like, people being individuals, some people don't care one bit about job titles. I am not that person. I love a job title. I care very much about a job title because for me, it represents the struggles that I've been through to get to that point. So if I am managing a team of people, if I'm running a department, I kind of want a job title that reflects that because it's, you know, taken me a while to get to this point in my career. So I will quite happily put my hands up and say job titles matter to me. Um, for other people, the onus is more on salary or it's more on um, the authority that the position uh, attracts or just the level of work they're going to have to do rather than the job title. But for me, job title is important. Um, and in our industry, there's just no set progression. And that's really tricky for me to get my head around. So you kind of you start your career somewhere around maybe assistant, junior, executive. And that's mm. kind of the the beginning part of your career. And then it just goes completely haywire and makes no sense to anyone because agency side, a manager might be an account manager. So you don't actually do any SEO. You could be an SEO account manager and not actually be an SEO. You're just managing the relationship between the client and the SEO. Or you, an SEO manager might be someone who is kind of a middleweight SEO specialist. Um, they're up from being an executive, but they're now kind of getting that managerial title. But they're not a people manager. And then you go brand side and manager means you have people to look after. Well, sometimes it doesn't. And it just means that you're a certain level of your career. So there's just no there's no rhyme or reason to it. Then you throw in things like director. Now, director means things. Um, you can be a, in the UK anyway, you can be a director of a business. It means you actually have quite um, a legal requirement and legal authority over that business. It's a it's a not just a job title. It's an actual set of responsibilities if you hold directorship of a business. But then we throw in things like SEO direction. Are you agency side? That tends to mean you're a very senior account person if you're a director. In-house, it might mean that you sit on a board of directors or it could just mean that you're a senior person. And then does it matter if you're an SEO director versus director of SEO? Why does that in my brain mean two very different roles when actually it's just the reversal of the order of the, letter, of the words? It, it's a very complicated thing. So um, I've, I think I've tweeted about this before. Like, what, what is more senior? Is it head of SEO? Is it SEO director? Is it SEO lead? Is it lead SEO? Is it director of SEO? I've seen jobs that are advertised as global head of, like that, so you're not just the head of, you're the global head of because there's other head offs as well. It just it there gets to a point where it just absolutely just blows my mind and I can't I can't make head or tail of it. But actually as someone who is hiring people as a hiring manager, that's a really difficult thing actually, that there is no standardization. Because I can look through a CV and just see like some load of fancy job titles and think, okay, this person might be quite senior. And then you dig into it, you're like, actually, they've been in the industry three years, but they got a head of title after eight months. So what's that mean? Have they really got the experience to carry the weight of a department, for instance? Or maybe they have. Maybe they're really good at their job and they have got that. But it it doesn't help when you're you're hiring people. And then there's quite rightly, people like me come in and say, well, I want a job title that reflects what I believe my seniority to be. And so when you offer them SEO manager, and their only perception of SEO management is that it's one step up from the graduate who's only got a year's experience and, and they themselves have got 10 years experience. Then there's like a real kind of discrepancy between your expectations and theirs. So if we could just maybe turn it into some kind of numerical leveling system, like you're a, you're a level four SEO, you there are a level six SEO, 
that would make life so much easier. <laughs> but, but what's the scale? Does it go up to 99? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm going to come in at like a thir- level 30. What's that mean? No one knows exactly. Oh, it's so difficult. <laughs> uh, if we bring this back to SEO, are they all the same entities? <laughs> Or are they different? Yeah, are they are they comparable? Where are they on the in the graph? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it hurts my brain to think about it. Well well, thank you for indulging me in my silliness. I guess we're at the tail end. And I guess I want to open it up to you. What what's some piece of advice that you want to give to someone who was perhaps in your shoes fifteen years ago, ten years ago, last week? I mean, if I, if I was giving advice to my former self, it would be don't do the freelancing, you don't enjoy it. Um, if I was giving advice to other people, um, then I think it would probably be, if you can, if you are in a secure enough position, and I, I say this as a person who has the, who comes from a position of privilege, whereby I can take risks, I'm financially in a position where I can afford to take risks with my career. Not everyone is in that position, and I very much appreciate that. Um, if you are in a position where you can comfortably take risks, then then ask for things. Put yourself forward for opportunities. Um, ask to have a bit of line management experience. Even if it starts off small and you mentor someone for a bit and that moves into a more formal line management uh, relationship, perhaps you take that risk and think, you know what, this role isn't working out for me. I've tried everything I can to make it work for me. It's not. I need to look for another role. Take those risks if you can. And not everyone can because sometimes all we can do is just hold on to the job that we've got because we need it to pay the bills and and that's all we can do for now. Um, but if you can, try and carve out those opportunities for yourself. You'll find yourself a good mentor or a good manager who's going to try and carve those opportunities out for you. Um, and if you do find someone who's like that, then hold on to them as best you can. Um, even if they stop being your manager, ask whether you can still keep in touch with them, that kind of thing, because chances are you'll learn from them and they might be able to continue opening doors for you um, in other ways. Wow. You are a wealth of experience and insights, Helen. Thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for being so open and sharing. And for those listening, you may not know this, but this is take number two. So she's put up with a lot of <laughs> crap from me. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. It's uh, been a real joy talking about this. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I, and I know what you've said will help someone who finds them at whatever pathway they are. So thank you very much. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dreading Sundays. I hope you found this to be as motivational and inspirational and as interesting as I did. Awkward pause because this is live. But if you have not subscribed, please do so. And if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review as long as it's five stars. Anything else? Maybe not. But until next time, stay safe, stay curious. And I'll see you, kind of, not really see you, but you'll hear from me next time. See ya.